0: Hello and welcome to the 193rd episode of The Sauces Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they make their start making games, what their emphasis are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, we're this to both the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game hit Moat, which in this case is Slade Spire by Megacrit. Anthony, who are you what, what do you
1: do? <laughs> Uh, hey, I am half of Megacrit, one of the co founders and developers, and I do uh, development and design on Slay the Spire.
0: Right, so is this your first ever title then?
1: Kind of. Hmm. So it's, it's my first, I would say, you know, like real title where it's, you know, released on Steam and it's like an official game. But. Casey, who's my co-founder on Megacrit, he and I have actually worked on uh, some games in the past, like a Flash game and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Well, this sort of related to my first, or my sort of second question of the first half, is uh, how did you make your start making video games?
1: Sure, so Casey and I we met up in college when we were both studying computer science and uh, being college students, we had all the free time in the world, so um and we were really, really into games. And I had always been interested in kind of getting into game development. So we thought, hey, why not, you know, work together and make some fun little indie games. So we uh, we started our very first little company and made a, uh, a Flash game and an iPhone game. And, uh, you know, they weren't very good games. But, <laughs> but, you know, they were kind of just broke us into it. And then uh, after that, we... Said, okay, well, why don't we actually go get real software jobs now? So we got our degrees, went to the software industry, uh, saved up money, and worked there for a few years, and then uh, quit our jobs and started make a crit. So
0: it's a very familiar tale, I've got to say. The the um, going off to working in you know, say so you said working in the software field in probably some corporate event or environment or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> you don't know, yeah. have to go specifics, mate, don't worry I don't want to sort of tease that out of you Just like It's just something like insurance or banking or something like that I don't, I don't know S- Something that was very boring <laughs> and uh, not interesting No, but it was necessary <laughs> Well mate. Yes Yes, no, it is there are, there are many things out there that aren't particularly interesting or boring But, mm, goodness, they're necessary You know, and that kind of thing But, uh, no, and... and so you already had a grounding in in coding and and development and that kind of thing, but it's just the act of designing games. This is a very different set of skills, which I know you dabbled in, you know, in your school time, and then you dabbled in further for your college years. But do you, there is a a split, almost a dichotomy between the field of of uh, coding and 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 game design. Um, this is something I've noticed. Do you, how do you found? How do you think you you manage to marry the two together. Do you manage to split one between the other, or do you think they're just sort of melded into one?
1: Uh, well, for me in particular, they're kind of melded into one. Mm. Uh, it's just I've always I've always thought about game design, and I've always uh, I, have, I have a big experience with board and card games. Actually, okay. managed a managed a board game store for a while, and so um, you know when you're just playing like every board game out there. Um, I think a lot of people me included kind of get ideas to like dabble in your own game ideas and so you know I I would design ideas and um, never really went anywhere with them and I also have a history of game mastering and like role-playing games and uh, that experience is you're kind of a game designer on the fly where you're you know essentially designing experiences for your players so i've just kind of always been so enmeshed in that that it's just kind of natural so
0: yeah i must confess that similar uh, i have a huge uh, affection towards board games uh, i just got uh, founding of gloomhaven um yes. and um this is the other board game for gloomhaven which i'm also playing through uh i do have a copy of that as well amazingly and uh what an extraordinary game that is <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it's ruined me. I don't know. I don't know if you played it, Anthony, but it's, it's it the game's ruined me for other dungeon callers. I can't play other dungeon callers. I'm just sitting there going, "It's not Gloomhaven now, is it?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I want to play it because it it looks interesting, and from what I've heard, you know, basically, if you like Slay of the Spire you like Gloomhaven. Yeah,
0: or, yeah. Um, so I,
1: I don't know. There seems to be some overlap there. There
0: um, is, but um, it's and um, there's there's other things going on. We can chat another time about, if you've got time, about why that is different. But yeah, when I see um, uh, card games and other card games as well, I was actually asked this of a Magic the Gathering developer about this. He said, I don't, I can't fathom how just pieces of paper or card can be suddenly so interesting. And uh, how does that work? And he sort of looked at me and said, this is programming. It's just programming. It's just. It is, um, you know, uh, Boolean logic, if, and, else, mm-hmm. and then, in card form, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way, because, you know, it's not my, my forte. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's just uh, in a much more analogue form. Uh, and uh, so it's quite interesting to see it in a digital form, which is very common now. The, the card games on uh, in digital form are very common and much loved um, Half zone being among the most successful as we all know, um, nope. but I dropped off the shelf that one. But anyway, yes, card games, board games, and I do also DM and GM whatever game you're having to be playing. I'm I'm running a Starfinder campaign. I'm running two D and D campaigns. I know exactly what you mean by having to design stuff on the fly because players. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I think it's uh, it's a useful experience for any designer. I mean. You know, I, th- I think to not have GM'd at least once is uh, kind
0: of doing a disservice
1: to yourself, so...
0: Yeah. You have uh, to know the pain of them glomming onto an NPC you just made up on the spot right there, and it really doesn't matter. Uh, but they're just going, so what's his name? <laughs> I don't. Um. <laughs> it's, like, yep. it's like, it's just so, like... I, I And then all of a sudden, you've managed to write down feverishly his, his backstory about why he's not important, but apparently I <laughs> think he is... And then he becomes a recurring villain because that's how well-playing games are. Mm -hmm. So, this leads me on to my third question, which I know the answer to now, I think. But what do you believe um, mega quits, mega influences are? So we
1: have a ton of influencers. Um, You know, a a big part of it is um, my my card and board game background. You know, I've, I've played tons of magic from when I was a little kid. Um, I play I got really into Dominion and all the other deck builders um, when that when those were just coming out and you know that's become a huge trend. Um, and then also a lot of roguelikes. So uh, both Casey and I played a lot of Spelunky, um, and and you know, other roguelikes in, in that genre. The, yeah, the I mean
0: of, I've always there's a, there's a glut of them, which is lovely, I think. I think you know uh, Rogue Legacy, Binding of Isaac, and yep. Spelunky. I I say, almost say they're in the same breath. You know, it's not about It's not, a, not. I'm saying they're the same games. Far from it. They are very different experiences. But yeah, I want, We're going to talk about that later on about how that is. In, it's part of Slay the Spire. But uh, yeah. And um, uh, what what do you think? What, what what is it about them? Do you do you are most interested in? Um, that's a good question. So there's a
1: couple aspects, but one in particular is just that, you know, basically every time you play, you get the feeling that it's different. And to, to me that appeals a lot because I actually, especially now I get bored with things pretty quickly and easily otherwise. So I want like a good challenging experience that's um, mixing it up enough that I'm still interested. So, um, and I personally, as a, as a, as both a gamer and a game designer, I'm less interested in the narrative experiences these days. So, um, roguelikes kind of come at it just right for me, where they're just all about the gameplay, right up, you know. And the story can be there, but it's it's not the focus. It's all about just incredibly rich and deep gameplay, and then varying it up so that there's lots of content. So,
0: have you played a game called Twenty XX at all? You know, I actually have
1: not played that
0: game. Yeah, it's, um, it's Mega Man, but it's a roguelike. Think about it. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yes. Surely a mix made in hell, but it actually does actually work because the trick, the thing that draws me towards roguelikes is the fact that the difficulty is balanced, is carefully massaged and balanced and reaches a, a point in the curve, if you will. saying your ability now pretty much matches what you know, the add-ons and bonuses you get to improve yourself, to make it slightly easier or slightly more palatable so you can actually get over uh, the hurdles that previously were nigh on impossible. And that's what I find fascinating, is that it uh, it almost creates a custom difficulty setting for each person as they play it, and it's unique to them and only them. Uh, and that's how I see roguelites. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I I think that's pretty
1: reasonable. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely part of their appeal. Yeah, Um yeah. Especially if you can get it right. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's 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 non-trivial to actually reach that point, but when when you get the difficulty just just right like that, it's it's great. Mm. So yeah,
0: so uh, it's it's uh, uh, and yeah, you already explained that the uh, ball games and card games and and other uh, uh, influences, and it's extremely obvious what's going on in here and. And uh, the uh, progression, the sense of fulfilment and reward, reeks in Slated Spire. It's the one thing that drives me on. Is what other weird cards can I get? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it, that is it. Cause I'm a big explorer in games. I love seeing the worlds people create and living in them and experience experiencing them. That's why I'm a big RPG player and stuff. You know. Yeah. So and and Slay the Spire f- fits that. Also deals with my card game adoration, and also you know, my love of, of roguelike games, so it's, it's, it's all there it's all there for me
1: <laughs> um, part of it was, it seemed to me like card games and roguelikes would actually be a natural mechanical pairing hmm. so um, what, what I mean by that is that the act of building a deck is, is in itself interesting and so because because of that, and because you want it to be like from a different pool of cards every time, the fact that you're getting a mixed match of cards every time you play actually makes it so you're building more novel and interesting decks. So they're kind of the two mechanics are feeding into themselves in a complementary way.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: that's that's actually what's really important for Slate Aspire.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, next question then. Here we go. It's um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um. Hmm.
1: Probably uh, Mossmouth, the developers of Splunky.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, so, to be honest, I it's just I we think that uh, Splunky is probably my favorite roguelike. Uh, it's one of the best designed out there. Um, I you know I actually got the Splunky book and read through it. Um, and you know I've I've been impressed with his other work as well, like Aquaria and. Some of those older stuff, but um, just they re- uh they just bring a lot to the table, and I've been just consistently impressed. And actually, I'm really excited for Splunky too. So I think
0: most of us are. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, if, if, if I kind of fanboy, that's uh, that's going to be better. I, I
0: honestly think we live in a wondrous time when it comes to games. There's such so many, so different, but you can just play almost any genre, any type of thing. And uh, it's uh, it's overwhelming, but I think it's a good thing. Uh, my only negative is that, uh, unfortunately, the curating of it is difficult uh, to the point of being impossible. But, you know, there it is. Uh, but I'm just thinking about, you know, it's still okay to fire up 360 or even I think it's on current generation machines. It's blunky. I'll have to check. probably is. Um, you can still play it now. You know, it's fine. It hasn't gone away. Uh, and uh, I know I've got a um, the ridiculous steam library of games which, um, I once called this pile of shame but not anymore I call it my investment into the video game industry <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah I, I, I like that that's, what, that's like uh, when Casey and I do research and yes. so we'll find a new game
0: to play Yeah. Well yeah it's your investment into uh, just pile of shame uh-huh. it's alright Good. Okay. it's well, a great answer? And uh, I have other developers sort of. Go, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings because I'm going to miss someone off. And here, I suspect you want to list off another dozen. <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you know I can just,
1: just keep going, but I think um,
0: that's the one that really immediately sort of springs yeah. to mind and is the one you admire the most because that's the that's the question. You know, what's the ones that, that, that sort of um, piqued your interest?
1: Yeah, and, and also, um, you know, Spelunky was part of kind of the launching of, like, you know, the new era of indie games, right? Um,
0: it was. Like that, and Braid, and... Braid, um, you know, and yeah, so. and it was uh, it was a wonderful time. Believe it or not, 11 years ago, but it was a wonderful, yeah. wonderful time. When the iPhone arrived, and like, what's this? Touchscreen. could you make a <laughs> game with that? No, no, you can't do that. Oh, come on, let's make it... Oh, okay, then. And then that all unraveled. And at the same time, it had the 360. And I keep having to yep. remind people that 2007 was 11 years ago. They think it's about four. <laughs> it, it, it feels that way. It it years, I think, jeez. No, it's a decade, really? Really? Yeah. But, oh, oh damn. You know, like the 360 came out in 2005. And you go, no, it didn't. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> or or the, 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 I think one of my favorites is when I explain to people that World of Warcraft came in 2004. I'm called a liar when I tell them it's 14 years old. And then they think, and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just, yeah. That's how, the time does that. It's annoying. It keeps it going forward and never stops. <laughs> <coughs> Unless you're near a back hole. Anyway, apparently. Um, my last question then um, is, uh, mm-hmm. what are you playing right now? Excluding slater the Spider?
1: Sadly, not much,
0: to right. be honest.
1: Um, the average day is – is so because we own our own company and, you know, we, we don't have, like, a studio, we just work from home. Mm. So it's just kind of wake up, stumble over to the computer, start working. Yeah. At, some, at some point, go to bed, you know, at, like, 2 in the morning or whatever. And then yeah.
0: – <laughs> So that's, that's I my. I mean, average. it can be co-op board games as well if you manage to snatch one, or, one or two of those. But does any type of game is there anything that sort of um, you'd like so, to play or uh, you know, so? Yeah. So uh, lately, what I what I
1: do do when we play games is we'll um, kind of look for new things to just try out, and I'll and I'll be like trying them out for a little bit, and then moving on to the next game. Kind of just giving games like a little bit of my time. Seeing what interesting concepts are there, what can I learn from it? Uh, I spend a lot of time actually just like analyzing them, looking at UI and things like that, and 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 you know actually not playing games very much more than ten hours tops for any given game. Um, Like a lot of the new games I've been playing lately, were we've been looking at uh, multiplayer games. So I I played like Raft and. actually (laughs) i tried no man's sky because their multiplayer thing just came out
0: Um, it did yeah
1: i figured i would give it a shot you know now that it's supposed to have fixed a lot of the problems
0: Mm. Mm. uh,
1: yeah i have thoughts but probably
0: that's not said that's uh, all right that's okay yeah i mean i think it's quite extraordinary how they keep on bashing away i mean lesser mortals would have said fine we'll give up but no they just carried on and on and on so yeah. yeah, there it is. Uh, I've yet to delve into it myself. I do have a copy. Just, I've I've patched it, but I haven't actually had the time to uh, check it out. I'll be doing it this weekend. But uh, yeah, all marrying in his in his uh, cohorts doing their thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say outside of that, the game that I played the most recently um, was Wizard of Legend.
0: Oh, I don't know this.
1: Which this uh, it's it's a it's a roguelike from a top-down perspective, and you're a wizard. I um, mean, it's an action game, hmm. and you're running around fighting enemies, and you have spells that are actually cards. So that's you know, I was I was interested in it because I had this this card as spell mechanic, and it's got a big spell library and lots of items, kind of like we have relics. So um, it's pretty pretty interesting. It was very smooth, fun to play, and it has co-op. So
0: yeah, uh... I there's a game we featured on the show about a year ago, now maybe longer, it's a Guild of Dungeoneering. That's quite fun. That's, I've uh, that. Yeah. Have you played that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually played that um during the developing process. Ah, so right. we uh, while while we were developing Satospire, so we we went out and like played, you know we we looked for anything any and in, in any way remotely resembling Satospire so and mm. tried it out to see what what we liked that they did what we didn't like that they did you
0: know get inspiration from that so. yeah yeah. that game reeks of humour <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, yeah and, uh, it does make me chuckle it's up there with uh, Western of Loathing it's great um so well that's a great response great answer I mean I understand you know once Slayer once the is finished, you'll you'll dive back into WoW like the rest of us <laughs> 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 uh,
1: <laughs> no I think uh the, the the plan is is that once we actually launch out of early access, yeah. We're still yeah. gonna be adding new content and things to of the course. game. Just just at a not not every single week level. Yeah. So yeah, which, a, a which currently plan. is what we're doing and it's a little bit insane. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 I can see that. So that's the end of the first half. Well done. See you made it. And uh, we're now going off to the second half of the show where we climb tall. This- and uh, slay the spire. And delve deep see that's I did that never mind it's uh, my, it's my yeah. show leave me alone uh, <laughs> so first question isn't a question it's a request um, sure it's uh, can you please tell us what is Slay the Spire sure so Slay the
1: Spire is a roguelike deck building game um, where you the player are ascending this evil spire filled with nasty monsters and events and crazy things to encounter and building a deck as you go and probably dying lots and lots as you try to reach the end. That's oh, pretty that's,
0: much that's,
1: it. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: basically the elevator pitch, yeah. That, you know, you're right. One of the first things the monsters say to you is, you don't belong here. Please leave. Or they don't say, please leave. <laughs> yep. As you say, you don't belong here. And uh, it's very really nice, isn't it? I thought, you know. uh, and the presentation of it, and that's what drew me when I walked past. your. Uh, because when I do go to these shows, when I go to the six events... Packs or during should correct myself there because it's a Seattle internet it's a, it's a Seattle indie um, a, a game developers event so it, it's all your community if you will coming together mm. to create this event and I always do a big circuit you know because that's what you do of course you do if you like me a journalist walking around doing a big circuit to see what catches your eye and I get to <laughs> orbiting your, your booth so sorry I wasn't being weird I get to going I really should I spent way longer than I than I should. Because I wanted to give the other games a chance as well, but I spent a long time uh with, with Slay the Spire for good reason. I knew it was gonna h I knew it. I because I saw the card game. I saw it and I was like, this is just did they write this for me? I don't know. It's just, it's just stunning.
1: <laughs> so so it's actually one of the interesting challenges with uh demoing Slay the Spire at an event is mm. uh you know, kind of the optimal event game is like you get a four player you know, bat like battling together and yeah. everyone's playing, yeah. you get like quick little five minute games or whatever. Where us, it's like, okay, you sit down at a chair and you have a player who's intently thinking and staring at the screen, and they're there for, our, I think our demo was like 15, 20 minutes a person. So, not, not the most optimal con or event experience but uh you know well the people that did play they get like hooked on it so it's good
0: yeah yeah and then we get a lot of uh talk uh, in the gaming sphere which we'll talk about right now because these next two questions were not composed by me no these are composed by my good friends at gamers of jobs who love this love this inspire and uh, i asked them you want to throw a couple of questions because they put in between the, I think about 400 hours in so far, I think, between the pair of them. Um, so this is, um. Excellent. Sean Sands and, uh, and Juliet Murdoch, they both adore this game. And, uh, and because of they, they put way more hours in it than I have because reasons, I thought, well, I'll just ask them what, uh, what, uh, what the thing that they are most intrigued by. And they're very interesting questions. Um, so here's the first one. It's a little bit detailed, but I like it quite a lot. And it's something I've always it applies to any uh, game of, of of similar ilk, actually, it's any any card game, because this is about randomness, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which you and I know. You know, we could delve into the concept of randomness in computers, yeah. which which is a whole thesis of it itself. But we're not going to do that. So, what are your feelings on the luck of the draw element during a card design? Uh, during card design within this Spy, and how are you thinking about keeping a balance where a player that feels like they have some control? So you
1: know in general, um, we want to keep any because the game itself has a lot of systems that bring randomness in. we don't want um, you know just through having a, a deck of cards that you draw and then like the procedurally generated elements and things like that, we don't want to introduce too many cards that explicitly have like random factors on them. And we, we do have them. Um, so that's why I would say the majority of the cards, you know, it, the card does what it says it's going to do. There's no uncertainty when you play it in, in the outcome. Um, however, we do still have cards that do things like You know, generate a random card that's free this turn, and those are interesting and they're fun because they give you, you know, sometimes crazy, wild, powerful effects, but it's important, uh, from my perspective, it's important to not have those uh, be too common and not have them overshadow everything else, because you're right, you don't want those random effects to make it feel like the player isn't in control. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, the way we do it is it's, you know, I don't know that there's like a, sh- uh, a strict science to it per se, so much as it's very much by feel where we're just, we're trying to put it on not very many cards. And, and usually those effects are pretty bounded. Um, so like that, that card example is like the most common of those type of, of the random cards and then um we make it so that usually those effects like exhaust themselves so that means that you can only use them like once in in the fight so they're not super common um and then basically because there's such a small section of the card pool and the effect pool players who are really averse to randomness don't need to get it like you know if you don't want to play with any random cards you can totally do that for the most part um and then we have some systems that make it so that we actually take randomness out of the game. So it's the is a turn-based battle game, right? And, you know, kind of the default assumption would be that um, you do your actions and then on the enemy's turn they would do like a random action. But because of our intent system where you can actually see exactly what the enemy is going to do and prepare for it... Mm-hmm player feels like they have way more control because they can anticipate and act on exactly what they're seeing. And you're not going to be surprised by like a bad random attack. So, you know, you can see if the big boss is doing a huge powerful attack and you can account for that. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, maybe the boss is going to buff. Maybe he's going to do a big attack. I don't know. It's just going to be a dice roll. Um, And that was one of the systems we early on found that like was a huge hit because, it just gives you that sense of control so that you're the one who feels like any mistakes you make are your fault. So.
0: Yes, there are times when um, I went, oh, no, no, see, I should have done the other thing. I was building <laughs> up to that, and I didn't lease it in, in, in the right time and stuff. And it's you're right, it's, uh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, um, next question then, and it's still on card design. So, when designing a concept for a card, how much are you thinking about its ability to synergize with other card versus its own utility? Is there a consistent methodology, or does it depend on the concept? So, uh, we have we have somewhat
1: of a consistent um, way of going about it, but but you know it does depend on on the card. You know, sometimes you'll just be in the shower or something, and you have a really cool card idea that just pops into your head, and you know. You, yeah, i out write that down and you build from there but a lot of the time um, so for example when we built the defect we have uh, we have kind of numbers of kinds of cards we want to hit so like based on the ironclad and the silent they have x amount of kind of what we call build around me cards so cards that kind of can define strategies in and of themselves and so when we sat down to build the defect we were like okay well we want to have about this many cards that are like that. So let's sit down and design cards that form the base of strategies, right? And then we say, okay, well, whenever we create something like that, we want to make sure that we have enough cards that support that strategy. And so you know, we have, we'll sit down with like spreadsheets and kind of look at it and go, okay, well, um, we still need another poison card to flush out the poison cards or whatever. Um, and so it's kind of... It kind of builds up organically from needing certain numbers of various slots. And then we kind of, you know, get it all till we're about like roughly where we want the card size to be. And then we kind of just sculpt it from there and then it gets more organic. But at least initially we're trying to make sure that we hit certain numbers. So like, okay, we need this many just basic like attack or block cards that don't need to fit in anywhere, but are just kind of generic. And we'll try to hit that number close to it. And then with the rounding off process, that's where we kind of take it in at the end.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think I envision some kind of extraordinary spreadsheet, which then creates this sort of uh, a tree-like interaction between all these different cards to make sure that you don't have this... Channel of exploit where you actually divide by infinity or something, <laughs> and it, it just goes off because that's one of the things I'm sort of going to share again about ball games. Is that I'm sure uh, there are games when you've played a ball game, you realize that oh, wait, the maths doesn't work. And you sit in there going, oh, oh yeah, they this doesn't because there's a game called Splendor, which a lot of people have oh, f- yeah. friends of mine love Splendor, but a friend of mine, she's a mathematician, she actually explained to me that it's a certain, it's a certain pattern. It's a. I can't remember what the name of the pattern is, but it's a very distinct pattern, which is what math is really about. It's not numbers; it's patterns. And mm-hmm. he said, she described it to me. She said, if you just follow this, you'll always win. And ever since then, I've noticed when I, went, I can't play this game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, because you know, um. people
0: people say, oh, "Well, play Splendor," I said no, and I go explain why, and they go, "Really?" I said you don't want me to show it to you either. They look at me like tempted, like. No, no, because it just ruined the game for them, you know?
1: So, so, so yeah, so that's a problem with board games uh, that comes from two things that are big advantages that we have. Mm. And and one is just that the scope of playtesting is yep. like, you know, I mean, <laughs> like physical board games get just orders of magnitude less playtesting than yes. like, you know, we had for Slay the Spire, right? Mm -hmm. And especially because in a given day, you know, I'm getting an insane amount of data from all of our players. So, and you know, I just... I'm much more able to balance things like that than a a traditional game designer. And then two is that, you know, once you've printed your board game, it's done, it's out there. You can't change anything. Whereas for us... (laughs) Yeah, whereas for us if, if something's broken, I can fix it the next day and push on a hotfix. So
0: it's very difficult to patch a board game. Has been done. Generally it's yeah. been done. But yeah. uh, I mean Gloomhaven, that's got the ver- second second print. They fixed a bunch of stuff in the that's actual good. rules because like, oh wait, this this quest, yeah, it's non impossible. <sighs> Fine. Let's dumb it down a bit then. I didn't <laughs> use that phrase, but there was one particular quest it's like we looked at the two versions, like, oh, God, we, we'll play with the second edition. Like, that's just ended in tears. No one could do that. And, you know, <laughs> but they managed to reprint it because why? Because it's Gloomhaven. They can do that. Yeah. Boy, but they're the exception, far exception to the. Yeah, any any unique pos- position.
1: And yeah. and still, yeah. it has this downside where, like, if you had the first edition, yeah. you don't want the second edition, you're still yeah. a lot.
0: You don't so. know. You don't know until someone says, oh, that question's driving you over. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what? All right. So, third question, and I want to talk about um, how timing is important when playing cards in Slay the Spire. Because, uh, though you explained earlier that you you do give hints to the player, more than hints, you describe what the what the enemy is about to do in iconography and the sort of icons above the little creatures. As, uh, because, just to explain everyone, the, 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 the layout of Slay the of Spire is that the top half is basically uh, an image with the player on the left and the enemies, in brackets, brackets S, enemy or enemies, um, on, on the right. And uh, on the bottom of the screen there's a series of cards which you are playing against the enemies. The enemies don't play any cards, though. They just do stuff. <laughs> Uh, and um, you're you know you're representing your actions by playing cards. It's a bit like Metal Gear Acid, only less frustrating. So, <laughs> um, so basically, um, I just wanted to talk through how you communicate the timing of um, you know to tell the player that maybe you should be doing this rather than that right now, or or do you feel you just leave that you You People educated enough or intelligent enough, I should say, to understand what to do.
1: So, so I guess, um, I guess to start my question here is, so by timing you mean like the order that they play the cards in their hand, for yes.
0: example, when wow. they play this up? Because of course it's a turn base, so you know they can mm. spend all day sitting there <coughs> t- taking their turn. I'm talking about when you play your cards. When's the optimum p- moment?
1: So I would say that actually on a turn by turn basis we don't really give too much in terms of, um, hints or, um, instruction on how, ha- on like how to order the playing of the cards. Mm-hmm. in your hand. Cause, cause a lot of that is that's, you know, that's part of the skill of the game.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. figuring
1: out like, okay, which card should I even play? One, most of the time you can't play all the cards in your hand. And then two, when I do ordering their effects to be optimal, um, the, the big way that we explain it is just, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of people play the game now, from streamers to actual live playtesting sessions, and we, without even doing too much, you'll often see people play the card and then play the other card that, you know, applies a power to an enemy that makes it so they would take more damage. And then they go, oh, shoot, um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just screwed up. They almost immediately will figure out. Okay, I should have played that card first, so that the enemy takes more damage, and then play that. And um, so, you know, we don't we don't actually really need to do too much because most of the time players can immediately see what they did wrong yeah. because all of the information's out in the open, and um, you know, <laughs> just you you immediately will find out. Now, this isn't you know, this isn't always the case. You know, sometimes players might take longer to figure things like that out. But in general, we don't do too much. We are fine letting people die. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Letting so yeah. them get punished, and that and that's kind of how they learn is by making mistakes, being punished, and then just learning from there. Um, yeah. So
0: yeah, but, um, yeah, I, I, and that's right. The way to communicate to the player is, well, they're failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. That's what I was trying to draw out for you. It's just like that's how the game communicates to the player by the virtue of failure. Like, well, don't do that again, uh, yeah. and because you're going to get punished. And one thing we haven't really sort of focused on is really how the player can actually manipulate and change the cards in their hand and their deck. And they can call it a deck builder, but the, the 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 mechanic of that is that you're you're awarded cards at every end of every engage, engagement. You get potions as well. Which, uh, which you can use as one-offs that cause devastation damage or allow you to use more cards in a turn. All sorts of things. And these are all what I like to call manipulators. Uh, uh, I mean, every board game I've ever played has a baseline of rules, and then there's this something on the side that says, see what I've just said? All of that breaks that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's like all of those things over there breaks everything I've just said. Chemet uh, is good for that. It's like all the things I've just explained... All those cards over there just breaks everything I just said. All right? Have fun. So, and, uh, but, yeah, you can you can also go to this, when you go to a fire, because there's a campfire, and I think, oh, look, it's Dark Souls. And <laughs> you go to the campfire, you either rest, or you can actually enhance some of your, uh, your cards. So from a four attack, you jump up to an eight or something. Uh, it, it depends. So, um, yeah, there's it's, it's, it's lots and lots and lots of layers to Slay the Spire. One of the many reasons why it's so successful. But the last question, Anthony, I know it's sad, we'll think good things, must indeed come to an end. But my last question to this, can you please describe to us the persistence element of Slay the Spire, because it is roguelike, uh, I should say, and how it was designed. So what's, what's, what's the thing you carry on from one game to the other, and why is it that way? Sure.
1: So um, so in terms of meta elements that you carry over, it's actually very sparse compared to a lot of the uh, roguelike or roguelike games um, on the market right now. So um, Casey and I are actually both uh, neither of us like grinding very much in games. right. So um, and one of the things that i I personally really dislike is, i don't like it when i play um for 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 the most part i mean you know i'm painting with a broad brush here but for the most part i'm not a big fan of when i play a a roguelike type game and i actually cannot like mathematically win because i need to play a bunch to upgrade stats on some things or things like that right Right. you know um that that is that is a thing in in several roguelikes um Sometimes it's more or less acceptable. Like with Rogue Legacy, that's like the whole that's kind the of whole premise of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so you know, that didn't bother me because it's like, okay, this isn't really a rogue It's it's something kind of totally different. It's built around this whole unlock system, but um, but anyway, so because of that, we wanted one of our just design goals was we want it to be so whenever you play, even you know, if you're a good card game player and it's your first time sitting down and playing, you should be able to win the game. You know, you probably don't want you to. Like, we want it to be really hard, but it should be possible. Um, And that was something we always wanted. So what you unlock is you unlock new cards and new relics um, to add to the available pool. And what I mean by the pool is the pool of all the things that can spawn in a run. So, um, So when you play your first run some of the cards and some of the relics are locked, and you will just not see them in your run, period. They can't ever show up. But uh, as you play, and the better you do, you can unlock these new things, and then they'll actually be able to start showing up in future runs through the Spire. And so what we like about that is it, it makes it so that usually the things that we lock are a little more complex, so we're locking away a little bit of complexity or some like real outlier things, Um, and then you unlock those. So an example of this is one of the relics that we lock is called the Runic Dome. And the Runic Dome gives you energy, which is really good, but its downside is it hides the intents of all the enemies, so you no longer get to see what the enemies are doing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a... Seeing what the enemies are doing is a big, big part of our game. It's part of the fundamental aspect of our game, right? But if you're a really good player and you've played a lot you might already know like the AI of a lot of the enemies and that can be a trade-off that you're willing to pay. But for a new player, that would just be a bad experience. Um, and they would think like, okay, well, I don't know what the enemies are doing. Like I don't get this game. So we want to lock that away behind an unlock. It's actually giving us some utility by locking it away. Um, so we tried to make things like that locked and then, um, and then also usually the unlocks are actually making the game harder which is rare because because you have a smaller card pool to start it's more consistent what cards you're going to see so as you're unlocking more cards into the card pool you're going to you know you're going to have more variety and you're going to see more cards but it means that there's also less consistency in what you're going to be able to put into your deck and so that it actually gets a little bit harder as a result as you're getting better, which is an interesting property that um, we think is actually kind of good. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you unlock, like, new characters and the different game modes, but those are unlocked very, very early and very easily. So, yes. But that's, and that's the only persistent elements.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to draw it out of it because it wasn't immediately obvious when I was playing. I'm like, oh, this is a full, full reset. It's very subtle about what you get and what, what, what things carry on. Whereas in other roguelikes, it's very obvious and it's very in your face. And, like, uh, uh, again, going back to 20XX, it's like, yeah, here's all these coins. Go and buy some stuff that will add health to you. There you go. Couldn't be more yeah. obvious, you know. It's just, <laughs> but the nature and, of that game is it lends itself to that.
1: And so I, I actually have a problem with those coin-based systems because that's not the only game that has that. There's, mm. like, Enter the Gungeon and a couple others. But um, if they're not done right... Um what you can do is you're like, okay, well this item that I can unlock by paying for it here, this is a bad item, and I don't want to unlock this. So I just won't, and my experience will be easier and I'll never have to see this item. I just won't pay to unlock it. And that's kind of a it's kind of an awkward you're putting your player at like odds there. So yeah, we didn't thought true. about a system like that and we discarded it for that reason. So mm, interesting.
0: Well, there it is. Slay the Spy. It's out now on Early Access on Windows PC, Mac, and Linux. Is that right? Yep. Cool. And it's on Steam. I know it for a fact. And I uh, highly, highly recommend. Anthony, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your time with us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, we do wish you the best of luck with its completion. Have you any idea when you're going to finish it? Or is that an unfair question to ask? Probably um. is. <laughs> Uh, I mean,
1: well, so hopefully we're coming out of early access this year, actually,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and then we're gonna, you know, and like I said, we're still gonna do updates after that, release new characters, other cool things, and then we're gonna be looking at porting to other platforms as well.
0: Oh yes, I actually play it a lot with my controller uh, because I like it on the big screen at home. Because uh, I stream it on my uh, my uh, my Steam box, which are now five bucks a piece, by the way. Uh, and uh, yeah it's really good on the big screen well done for that so, awesome yeah it's really good um, but yeah again thanks very much and uh, best of luck thank you appreciate it and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com so just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show, and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!